Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark. How are you guys doing? Woo-hoo! So here we are starting a new series, E3 at the Movies, something that we've done just about every summer since uh, we launched E3 six years ago. And uh, we believe that uh, uh, part of what we do is, is uh, we want to be culturally current and, and uh, engage people uh, where they are at. And millions and millions of people go and see movies every year. And the reality about movies is that, that, that movies are a great teaching mechanism. Uh, they, movies and stories, they're, they're living parables, they're, they're uh, things that, that uh, come out of people's minds and hearts, and uh, for better or for worse, uh, they teach. And uh, what we like to do is to look at the movie and not critique if it's good or, or bad um, or anything like that, but just kind of say, hey, you know, what, what's this movie teaching and is it something that God wants for my life? Is there some sort of truth that I can pull out that, that I can uh, put into my life and, and really become a, a better follower of Christ? And this week, as we start the series, we're going to be looking at Robin Hood, the legend begins. Now, Robin Hood is uh, essentially uh, Russell Crowe, uh, and he's playing the uh, character of Mel Gibson in Braveheart. No, wait a second, that's not right. Uh, uh, he, is, he is playing the character of Robin Hood, and it's basically uh, for the Robin Hood franchise movie, it's kind of like the Batman Begins. It's the, it's the, who, you know, who was Robin before he became the, the, the guy wearing tights hanging out in the forest with the merry men, you know? And how, how did he get from where he started to where, you know, the story that we all know and love and, and grew up with? Now, it was an interesting movie, and, and while I was watching it, uh, some some different themes were were coming up and some different important themes but as i as i watched the movie there was really two words that that just really captured my heart and i thought wow these two words greatly impacted the character of robin and his journey and the reality is that these two words greatly impact you and I. It, it impacts where we're going and what we're doing and where eventually we will be. And those two words are will you. Will you. And what I want to get out of tonight is through the story of Robin Hood and looking at the two times that he is asked, will you, how, you know what, in the future as we go forward, that, that maybe when we hear those words, will you, that, that something inside us, of us will perk up, that we'll pay attention, that something larger may be happening. Now, in the story of Robin Hood, in the movie, uh, that Robin had been in battle for 10 years, fighting the Crusades in the Middle East. 
He was in Jerusalem and, and experiencing all sorts of stuff, and he was war-weary. He had seen enough killing. He had seen enough blood for a lifetime. And he was coming home to England, and basically he just wanted to fade into history. You, know, you can understand that, right? You know, you get tired of something, something has worn you out, and you're just like, you just want to get off the grid. You don't want to deal with all the politics and all the interaction and all the hurt and the pain anymore, and you just, you know, just want to go and have a simple life. And this is essentially what's going on with Robin. And as he's coming he com- uh, home, he, he comes across uh, uh, another batch of warriors who had been ambushed and they're all dead said one and at this point he he hears one of the wounded warriors before he dies calling out to him and he walks over there and he's like hey you know you know you're dying and he's like yeah and he's all like i need you to do something for me he's like what he says get my sword He's like, all right, and he puts it into his hand. He says, I need you to take this sword to my father. And he looks at him and says, will you take this sword to my father? And here we have the first, will you? And what is seemingly a complete random occurrence that he could have taken many paths back to his home in England. But this particular path, he came across, he came across these, these ambushed warriors. And he came to happen to come across at a certain time, right before one of them died, and was able to ask him, will you do this? And the answer to this question is going to chart the path of Robin in this story for the rest of this character's life. Now, we may look at that and say, you know, this is a random occurrence and, and looking at it and go, well, this, you know, random things happen to me all the time. You know, I, I go and I'm doing something and I have a random interaction with somebody or, or a random event happens to me. You know, that's, that's just the way life is, right, Mark? No, not for a follower of Christ, actually. For a follower of Christ, there are no random occurrences. And David writes this in Psalm 138. It says, Though I am surrounded by trouble, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out, your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out His plan for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. You know, check out that line. It says, the Lord will work out His plans for my life. And this is what we can know as a follower of Christ, that no matter what happens in our life, that it is sifted through the permissive will of God. And this is something that a lot of people get hanged up, hung up on. You think about that and you're probably thinking like, I, wait a second, Mark. There's a lot of lousy stuff that has come into my life. 
And you're trying to tell me that God has sifted that through his permissive will and actually allowed this, this stuff to happen to me? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's actually not what I'm saying. It's what the Bible says. And you're like, well, why? Why would a loving God, and this is a perfectly legitimate question, why would a loving God allow lousy things to come into my life? And the answer is this. For those of us who are followers of Christ, those of you who are not, you're on your own, but but those of you who are followers of Christ, just the reality, you know, that those of you who are followers of Christ, when bad things happen, that we know that there is an ultimate purpose and reason behind it. I remember when I went through my first depression that, that really just brought me to my knees. And that was pretty bad. But what was worse in a lot of ways was my second depression. My second depression got me really angry with God. And I would pray prayers like this. God, I am serving you as best I can. I am tithing. I am working with the youth who are all messed up. I am, I am doing, you know, I'm going to church. I'm doing all the things that a good Christian guy should be doing. You know, I, and I, I, in my mind, I understood the first, the first depression. Okay, needed to humble me. Needed to bring me my, to my knees. I'm cool with that, God. But the second one, totally out of bounds. That's what I thought. It, 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 was, a, it was an awful, awful time in my mind and time in my life because I just did not understand why. In James, James tells us this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, us, when trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for pure joy. Why? Why? Because you have an opportunity, you have a chance at this point when trouble comes into your life that we know that is not just random. We, don't, we know that it's just not circumstantial. But we know that it has been sifted through the permissive will of God and it is there for a purpose. And the reality is, that second depression stretched me and molded me and refined me in ways and let me look at, made me look at things in my life that I just didn't ever even know were there. I thought I had dealt with it all. But God had more to do in my life. And eventually, through that second depression, it moved me and made me change my life patterns and, and made me release things that I didn't even know I was holding so tightly onto. And the question that God gave me in, during that time was, will you release your pain to me? Will you release your plans to me. And at that point I had at that point I was at a place after refinement to be able to answer yes lord I will. So back to Robin and he's 
sitting there and he, and he receives this sword and he says, I will take it to your father. And then the guy passes on. His name's Robert of Loxley. And he picks up the sword and, and he mounts his horse and he's with some other guys and, and he's going along. He's like, I'm going to take it to his father. And they said, why? Dude's dead? Who really cares? He's like, look, I gave him my word that I will do this. And in his mind, he's like, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to drop off a sword and all is said and done. But something larger is going on. That something is moving. Something bigger than Robin. Bigger than that party. Bigger than the, the, the men that were ambushed. And as, as Robin gets to the father's house and he comes and he presents the sword to him, the father breaks down in tears and is just broken because he had not seen his son for 10 years and now this sword had returned. He asked Robin to, to stay the night and Robin said, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And the next morning, the father is talking to him and he comes up and he asks the second, will you question? He comes to Robin and he says, will you take on the identity of my son who is no longer here on earth? Robin sits there. And he's thinking, and just to give you a little historical understanding, at that time, there was a prince in the story, Prince John. And he was an oppressive prince of taxation and, and, and ruled with an iron fist. And what would happen in the, in the Middle Ages is if a father died, if a man died who was a landowner and he had no heir, that all that property would revert back to the state, but it would not only just revert back to the state, but back then, property wasn't like we understand it today. Property owners were basically in charge of little cities. That they were in charge of the people on the land, the people worked there, and they made their homes on the land. That their children went to school there. That, that people built businesses to, to be able to facilitate these little communities. And basically, you have all of this and all these people and all these lives and all these families. And if there wasn't an heir, it would revert back to state. And, and if it was a benign ruler, then maybe okay. But in this case, this prince, he would come in and enslave. And the father implores Robin, let me adopt you as my son, and you can be heir, and I need you to take on the identity of my dead son and stand in the gap between the people and this oppressive ruler. And he comes in with the second will you, and he says, will you be my son? Will you take on the identity of my son? 
big question. It's a very big question. You know, we think about that and you're like, well, Mark, you know, you know, is there parallels there? Absolutely. Those of us who are called by God, that we have been asked that question. You see, God as our, as our Father comes to us as, as daughters and as sons, as, as, as women and men. He says, you know what? My Son is no longer on this earth and my plan is still unfolding. And I am calling you and asking you, will you be my sons and daughters? Will you be my princesses and princes? Will you stand in the gap and be the conduit of love and mercy for a lost and hurting world? Because without you, evil will run wild. Paul puts it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, has taken on his identity. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Now, this is, this is not easy to do. Remember, that Robin had hopes and dreams that he wasn't looking to stand in the gap. He wasn't looking to be some landowner and be responsible for a bunch of people. It wasn't like, cha-ching, just hit the lottery right on, getting the, get, the, get the property and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this, this is a major thing. Give up your identity. Take on somebody else's identity. That This requires sacrifice. And what the Father is asking is like, are you willing to sacrifice your identity? Are you willing to sacrifice your dreams? Are you willing to have your life not be about yourself, but about other people? Paul continues to talk about what the mission of a follower of Christ is. If we answer when God says, will you follow me? Will you be my prince? Will you be my princess? Will you, allow, will you allow me to adopt you into my royal family? And he gives us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What is an ambassador? A representative. A representative of a person or a state. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ to never sin, to be an offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through God. Then he gives us a warning. Don't take this lightning lightly. He says, as God's partners, partnering with the creator of the universe, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. 
For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You see, all of us, in the course of our life, will be asked in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, a question from God. He'll ask you, will you follow me? But that's not the only question he'll ask. Later on, if we're aware of what's around us and we're in tune to the Holy Spirit, he will ask us other questions. Are you willing to sacrifice for others? Are you willing to be, to be the conduit of my love and grace to a lost and hurting world? Are you willing to make your life about other people and not just about your own selfish ambitions? And he will ask these questions in a myriad of ways, in ways that you would never expect, but he will Ask them, ask it if you are aware. And the reality is that Robin, he did not accept this new identity for his own benefit, but he accepted this new identity for the benefit of others. And the interesting thing about Robin accepting this identity and us accepting Christ's identity in the 20th and 21st century, I think the American church has really got this wrong. I think that in the American church, you know, the past two centuries, that, that maybe the idea was, that, you know, hey, a new life has begun. Our, we have, have our identity in Christ. Somewhere along the line, somebody made the jump to, that means all of us need to look alike, sound alike, respond alike, sing the same songs, you know, go to the same type of, of church, and all of these things. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is the most creative being ever. You know, God, the same God created the zebra as the aardvark. Very different, very creative. But somewhere along the line, we think, oh, if we're Christians, we all got to look like Ken and Barbie. No offense if you look like Ken or Barbie. I mean, that's cool if that's the way you look. And we accept even you. <laughs> that's how open we are. But God has made a myriad of colors and, 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 and passions and uniqueness, and we dishonor God as the Creator when we try to make everyone look and sound the same. And the cool thing about Robin accepting the identity of Robert was that he accepted his function and his role, but he retained his own personality and his own passions and his own you know, kind of uh, outlook and interactions with, with people that he was still who he was, but he had this now he had accepted the mission and the identity of someone else. 
And the same is true for those of us who accept the identity of Christ. That Christ comes and He makes us a new person. And yes, He's going to refine us and change things that are not beneficial. But the ultimate goal is not for us all to look alike and sound alike and be alike in the non-essentials. But to be celebrated in our uniqueness in Christ. As well as our unity in Christ. And this is kind of what our identity, Paul goes on and talks about what our identity looks like in Christ. He says this, he says, look, we, we who have accepted this new identity in Christ live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry and everything we do. We show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We have proved ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love, patience, and our kindness, sincere love, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working within us. We use the weapons of righteousness in our right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. And then he goes in and talks about some paradoxes. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our heart aches, but we will always be filled with joy. We are poor, but we, have spiritual, we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And throughout eternity, maybe right now, God is softly asking us, you know what? Will you follow me? Will you follow me and serve me whether people honor you or despise you? Will you serve and follow me either if people slander you or praise you? Will you follow and serve, serve me if people ignore you or either if you're well known or if you have heartache or if you're filled with, filled with joy Will you follow me if you're poor while even you give spiritual richness to others? Will you follow me if you have nothing even though you have everything? Will you? It's the most important two words probably to a follower of Christ. Because when you hear, will you, 
you know that you are at a crossroads. That there's two directions that you can go. And the gift of wisdom allows you to answer in the way that God has envisioned for you. So in the next coming day, weeks, months, years, when you hear the question, will you? And it can be from somebody that you know. It can be from somebody you don't. It can be in a book. God is very clever how He asks us questions. Be aware. Be aware of how important these two words are and where they will lead you. Approach them with prayer. Because there there is no answer to this question that is not important. You never know where your answer will lead you. Let it be your prayer that it leads you to the Father. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I just know that maybe today is the day that in someone's heart or their minds or in their, their soul, they're hearing you ask, will you be my son or my daughter? Will you take on the identity of Christ? Will you be the change agent? The, will you stand in the gap and be my conduit of love and mercy to a lost and hurting world? And God, I just pray if anybody is here who is hearing that question, not from me, but from You. That they will boldly go into Your presence and accept Your invitation. God, I also just pray for those of us who have already accepted that that invitation, that we are following You with reckless abandon, that we are going hard after You that we are aware and we are searching out and investigating every burning bush, that we are listening attentively for Your voice, that we are seeking out the question, will You? And when faced with it, with earnest and petition, striving, for wisdom to answer the way You would have us answer. Thank You for Your strength and Your power and Your providence. We love You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.